Oh yeah, my name is Damien Silvis, and uh, to give you a somewhat of a better picture of what that even means, why you should care, um, I want to talk about who I came to be, who I was before this, and, and how I got here. Um, I'm a Mexican-American born to two Mexican-Americans before me um, who didn't stay together very long. They divorced when I was four, I think. And um, for the most part, this story has a lot to do with my connection with my mother. So I'm going to talk about her. Um, she was she was born into the kind of setting that I would imagine most Mexican-Americans or Mexicans in general have, have kind of a familiarity with and that her, her whole value to her parents, most of her family, to most people she came in contact with was entirely based on her performance. Her value itself was on how, how well she cleaned the house for my grandmother, how well she did in school, and I mean, no one's perfect, so her value was always just a little bit knocked down. And uh, she just grew up with this sense of, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. This isn't good enough. My, who I am, not just what I do, who I am is not good enough. And uh, as the byproduct of one of her works, I became part of how she evaluated herself. Um, I became part of her value. And I mean, I was a pretty precious little kid, so it didn't take long. Um, I would have been proud of me a little bit. <laughs> um, but I quickly became her everything. And uh, uh, quite a bit of her value, her self-value. And as great as I thought it was, cute as I was, that, that still didn't cut it. I mean, she was still not good enough. She, I mean, she divorced. Who, who's going to value themselves too highly on that? I still loved her, but she, she, I could not fill whatever hole this was in her heart that uh, she tried to fill. Uh, but it affected me too. Um, as a byproduct of that, that relationship, I mean, m most psychologists would tell you that a, a kid starts separating from, from mom and dad around like two. That's why they call it the terrible twos. They start saying... No, no, you're you. You like broccoli. I'm me. I'm not you, and so I don't like broccoli. So I got to start saying no. When your parents divorce and you've got, you know, a mother who wants you to be the center of her universe and you wind up not being around her for years, it doesn't, it doesn't happen perfectly, let's say. Um, so I still had that, 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 uh, that connection between me and my mom, and I still had to, to kind of be her everything. What that left me was, was that same hole in my heart. I started seeing how much I could not make her everything, and I suddenly felt like nothing I did was good enough. Um, started seeing a lot of the fruit of that in, I guess, around high school. I made all A's. I mean, I have hated school my entire life, just so you all know, the premise of school. Um, but I made all A's to appease my parents, and... All of a sudden it was, well, why didn't you join any after-school organizations? I was like, are you kidding? I just made all A's in classes I didn't want to join. Okay, so I joined organizations. And the next year it was, well, you could join more. And they could be better. And by the time I got around talking to it, I mean, the damage was done. The hole was there. And um, so I needed something to fill my hole. And um, it's a little embarrassing to admit. But uh, I tried filling it with girls. I tried filling it with relationships. I was girl crazy, but not like, you know, debonair handsome. It was just like slightly manipulative and a little funny, so it worked. Um, but only for a while. I, uh, that same hole transferred to every relationship I tried filling my heart with. No girl could make me feel good enough, and 
no girl ever felt like their love was good enough for me. It's high school, so no relationship was that big of a deal, but it didn't help. And uh, it possibly passed on that same hole to others. But that wasn't it. There was also this anxiety that I carried with me everywhere. It started forming right about the time my mom got remarried, which was a little before high school. She married a man who um, I didn't get along very well with at first. I mean, it's hard enough that he wasn't my biological dad. But uh, my mother being this, this not good enough kind of woman that she carried with herself everywhere, found someone who could help cultivate that further. Someone who wasn't the type to say, I don't like the way you're doing that, will you stop? He was much more the kind to say, what the hell are you doing? Quit doing that. Give me that. You don't know how to do it. Or you're a dumbass. Why are you acting like this? Or you're fat. You need to change everything you're doing. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And he was also, you could call it abusive. Some places wouldn't because there were no bruises and uh, there was no hair pulled or, or scarring. But um, he wasn't the type to say, it's not okay for your elbows to be on the table. He was the kind to take the back of a butter knife and wrap you really hard on the uh, elbow. He wasn't the kind to say quit smacking at the table. He was the kind to smack you in the back of the head when you smacked at the table. Um, but he was also the kind who, you know, anything I did that annoyed him, that wasn't okay. If he was mad, it was my fault. If he was sad, it was my fault. And on the other hand, I had my mother who, never feeling good enough, when I did something that upset her, it was my fault. She, she couldn't communicate to me, hey, will you not do that? It was, no, you need to be on the lookout all the time for when I'm sad, because it's your fault. My, my sadness is your guilt. It just made the whole bigger. I went to a high school, uh, my graduating class was 96 people. My entire town was 500 people. Um, I was one of the three Mexican-Americans that I knew and one of the five people of any sort of race that was not white that I knew. Um, so I felt a little alone, but more than that, I was also just not your typical kid. I wanted my hair long since, as far as I remember, which wasn't normal. I wasn't super into sports, which still isn't normal. Um, I play guitar. In fact, I'm one of the biggest aficionados of heavy metal, and uh, I'm going to be one of the biggest virtuosos someday, so keep a lookout. Um, but that wasn't normal either. But worse than that, I went to a place where I felt like no one cared to know those differences. I went home every day to having to watch everybody's emotions and I went to school every day having to watch everybody's thoughts so that I wouldn't get made fun of. Everybody's opinions, everybody's thoughts, everybody's emotions, they were mine to bear or I suffered the consequences. And uh, that was kind of a big hole. And big as that was, girls didn't stand a chance. Just an empty drop in a bucket. And right about my sophomore year, I'm not really sure why, but I, I went to a Bible study. I'm not sure why, because up to this point, I had been made fun of by people who called themselves Christians for, for years. I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't want anything to do with people in general. More than that, I went to a Bible study with my family, who I also didn't want anything to do with. Uh, I'd just broken up with a girl, and I decided the girls aren't working. And my best guess is that I knew that it was going to take somebody bigger than a human to do anything about this hole. But that's kind of it. I don't think I knew anything was going to happen. Um, I went to a Bible study with my family. Um, with some of their coworkers, and one of the guys who semi-trusted before, surrounded by a bunch of people that I didn't trust at all, um, kind of sat in a circle and they, they prayed a prayer and they went through some, some scripture, some scripture that I wasn't sure I believed. But in this prayer, 
they said something that reminded me of this piece of scripture I want to share with you. Uh, it's from the 139th Psalm in the book of Psalms, and it's verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When, when that came to my mind, that not only did somebody know all the inner parts that I shut in my room and away from people all my life up to that point, um, that was one thing. Somebody knows. But two, they liked me that way. They loved me that way. They made me that way. And I mean, as edgy and heavy metal and tough as I thought I was, I cried in front of a bunch of people that I had no idea who they were and decided I'm going to figure out more about whoever this, this guy is, Jesus. He's got something that, that girls, my family, people that they can't give. In that moment, I knew that I was known and I was loved, as weird as I thought I was. And that, that took me on a couple different trips that we really just don't have time for. Um, I had met this person who actually made me feel loved, and little bits at a time. Didn't fully know what to do with it, so I followed after him. I start I called myself a Christian and decided he was he was the one who had what I was looking for and I was going to try to figure it out. And he took me on little adventures one of being taking me to UT. I actually didn't want to come to college in the first place. Um but through some odd happenstances I decided to come here. Um and then when I got here I got meningitis and <laughs> my friends were crying. I actually didn't know this but they were they were crying cuz that's one of those things that could kill you and I didn't know it could kill me. Not that I went out and tried to get it on purpose. Um, but God showed me his love, his unconditional love, and that it, I didn't deserve him getting me through that, and he did. Um, and then he called me to forgiving my stepdad, this guy who in my phone was saved as some, his name was some profanity. I say that now because I'm afraid of profanity because I just don't remember which one it was. But I couldn't even call him by his name. It took me to a place where I could see him as a human being and I could understand him, and I forgave him. And we're not like skippity doodah now, but... I forgave him and I can love him. Um, the Lord took me, this, this man who I know is Jesus, you know, I was calling Lord, he took me to those places. And then he took me on like the most dangerous mission you could ever call a man of my stature to. He had me fall for a girl who was two years older than me in the middle of my college experience. And uh, I was like, no, you can't, you can't do this. I have screwed every relationship up from like up until now all, all the way. I can't do that. And he said, well, she likes you, and uh, she's beautiful. So I think, I think you're going to go for it. I'm going to help you. And so I went for it, and it was really scary, and it was actually really hard. Um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, the most worth things I've ever done. But he took me to, well, he took me to owning several of the holes that were in me the whole time. And he called them out and said, I'm going to heal them. He got the idea in my head to go see a counselor. My parents had taken me to one before, so I didn't like the idea. But when he put it on my heart, I said, okay. And I went for it. And I, I went and saw a counselor, and, and to, mainly to talk about this thing that was coming more on the forefront of my mind that I thought I had, that, that was called depression. And something that had been put in me from since when I was a, a little kid and just couldn't make the right separation from, 
from people who also had this thing called depression I needed help with. And it was running, it was trying its best to run rampant in every relationship I had, but especially this one. In this relationship, I was, I was constantly afraid, like I'd always been, of, well, if you're, if you're mad, I have, to, I have to stop that. If you're sad, I have to stop that. This hole that resulted in this really ugly residue that made me f forever feel as though I was, I was constantly in fear of being cheated on. And I've only met a few other people who really know what that's like, because there's no evidence for this fear of being cheated on. It's just, just was. She's a lovely lady. Her name is Andrea. She's over there. Um, she would never do that to anybody, even if she hated somebody. Um, but that didn't matter. I, I'd had this hole forever, and it did the same thing the whole time. I was afraid of being cheated on, and I was tired of it. Um, so I started seeing this counselor, and I started learning how to make these just little separations, little quick battles that just, just meant no. No to, you know, that's your anger. That's not my anger. Just because you're mad doesn't mean I have to be mad. Or, you know, you're, you're sad, but that's it's okay. I can be there for you, but I'm not sad. And, and the battles got just a little tougher, but I had lots of friends who were, who were mostly here to uh, forgive me when I screwed up. But lots of people that I could say, you know, I can't do that, but, you know, I still love you. And I had Andrea to be able to say, you know, I, I can't be perfect, but I, you know, I still love you. And I'm not you. I'm not you anymore. Um, and it was working. It was crazy. All of a sudden, I knew what it was like to feel loved. All of a sudden, I knew that I, I didn't have to be afraid of cheated on, being cheated on. I started feeling what it was like to not constantly worry what everybody around me was thinking, feeling, saying. And I was like, okay, this is, this is nice, this is cool. We'll just float it on out and someday, you know, I'll die an old man and I'll have lived a life. But that wasn't the story yet. That, that person who I, I called Jesus and decided to follow, he took me to the end of that, of this, let's call it a war. Took you to the last battle. And uh, much like a video game, it was a pretty ugly boss battle. Um, it was really hard. He took me to the place uh, in time when my mother died. Uh, this woman who I had, I had had this unhealthy boundary with forever, this woman who I had had to be a, uh, I was so aware of what she would feel, so aware of her guilt trips, I, I, could, I can still hear them if I try. Um, he, the way I see it, you could, you could spend hours on, on why do bad things happen to good people? That's not why I'm here. But the way I see it, he didn't cause it, but he allowed it to happen. And that, that wasn't the issue. But a um, couple months ago, very, very recently, um, my mother put a gun to her chin and killed herself. And when I found out about it, um, those voices that I've been trained to hear all my life, the guilt messages I've been trained to hear all my life, they were just like throbbing, exploding, just <laughs> the whole first day was, I mean, of course, it sucked. Like, it doesn't matter how, if your mom dies, your day's gonna suck for the next while. But it wasn't just that. I would, I would cry, I had a good support group there. I would rest, but no matter what I did, when I couldn't, didn't have the energy to feel sad, energy was still being spent on these, 
what I could have done, what I, what my mother might have felt, what she might have been hurting with. Because of that unhealthy boundary that existed for so long, I could almost feel the unimaginable pain of what it, what it was like. She might have felt that she wasn't good enough. She might have felt that you didn't love her enough. She might have felt all sorts of things you could have done something about. And it was, it was agonizing. I really couldn't take it. Um, it felt an awful lot how, how old stories tell of like, like demons. They, they treated diseases like demons. I mean, it felt like that. It felt like there was this bridge between me and my now deceased mother. And the depression that had lived in her for so long was clawing over this bridge, trying to give me the last bit of dose of itself that it had been trying to give for all my 20 years up until that point. And to make it worse, the last time I'd really seen much of her was, was Mother's Day before then, just a couple weeks before. At that point, I was still trying to make those healthy boundaries. At those points, I told her no. I didn't know she was coming down that weekend. She kind of just dropped in one day. Gave me one day's notice and said, I'm dropping off furniture. Me being the guy that I am said, oh, she's just coming to give me furniture. But she, she wanted me to drop everything that weekend to be there for Mother's Day. And I dropped a couple things, but I didn't drop everything. So she just didn't talk to me that weekend. She didn't tell me where brunch was going to be that weekend. And uh, we didn't really make up from that. I showed up at brunch, but we didn't leave on the best notes. And I had that throbbing in the back of my head. You weren't there for Mother's Day. You could have, you could have, you could have, you should have, you should have. You're not good enough. You didn't love good enough. And because of you're not good enough, I died not good enough. And no, I couldn't take that. And at one point during the day, I, that first day, I, I went up, I was at Andrea's house and I had a couple of, a couple of people that are here to, about six people, just kind of, just to be there. Uh, but I took some time by myself and went up to a bedroom and just laid down, tried to maybe nap, maybe that will shut my brain up, and it didn't. I couldn't sleep. Um, it was about midday, and Andrea comes in because I'd asked her to come check up on me, and I don't really say much because all these thoughts are just, just pouring in, and one thought kind of sails in that seemed like it was true. It, it seemed like it was what I needed, and it was that this isn't mine. This isn't my sadness. This isn't my depression. This isn't my pain. This is my mom's. This is what I've been learning how to, to get past for weeks. This is my no. My mom might have felt all sorts of things. I can't be responsible for that. That's hers not mine. I'm sad because my mom's gone and that sucks. But I, my feelings are not hers and hers are not mine and I can't. I just kept telling myself that it's not mine, it's not mine, it's not mine. I looked at Andrea and one of the first things I said was this doesn't belong to me. This, this depression, this sadness, what my mom might have felt doesn't belong to me. And then I just started repeating that. This does not belong to me. This does not belong to me. And just Headache, throbbing, pounding, not going away, and I just couldn't make it go away. As true as I thought that statement was, I, I couldn't, couldn't do it on my own. And Andrea looked at me, and as much as we might have disagreed on boundaries, and times that I said no, that maybe she wanted me to say yes, she looked at me and said, you're right. That's for Jesus to bear now. 
And like, that sounds kind of cliche. It can. But like, in that moment, it was real. In that moment, I could see. I, I, I saw the truth. I couldn't always be willing to be there for my mom. Even if, let's say I was wrong a couple times. Maybe I should have dropped everything that weekend. I couldn't always be willing. There would have been no's. There would have been hurt that I couldn't own. And even if I could always be willing, I couldn't do anything about her depression. I couldn't make it go away. I couldn't do it for myself. How would I do it for her? That was what I knew. But in that moment, what changed was I saw it. Jesus was always willing, is always willing, is willing to be there every time. And when he gets there, he actually can do something about it. He can do something about depression that I can't. My mother was raised Mormon, kind of against her will. We talked about God together, but, but what was important to me in that moment was I recognized that though she never felt like she did it enough, did it good enough, she gave her life to Jesus. And from the talks I had with her, I mean, I knew it. It was part of why I thought of this whole Jesus idea was because she had brought it up before. And though I don't think she ever realized that she, in his eyes, in this guy named Jesus' eyes, she was good enough, though she never realized it, I'm convinced her life was marked with his name. And she now knows what it's like to have somebody who can always be there and actually carry all of that crap and get rid of it for good. And I don't have to try to be responsible for that anymore. And in that moment, when Andrea told me that, and, and it clicked and it just settled into my heart, I let it go. The headache went away. It felt like that bridge that this ugly monster, this grenade of depression that was trying to leak out everywhere it could, the bridge dropped and it couldn't get to me anymore and it was done. And sad didn't go away. It's not supposed to, that's mine. It, suck, it sucks today. But in that moment, this person that I believe to be Jesus, who I call Lord, he healed me of depression. There's a verse that I used to want to get tattooed just because I thought it sounded cool, but it made a lot more sense after all that. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Psalm 103. It starts in verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. That's my story. That's every pain, every joy. My life is a flower that's gonna blow over, but for me, my children, their children's children, there is a love that lasts longer than all of that. There is a real difference that's going to last longer than that. And there's a place in Scripture called Galatians, an old letter written to an old church. But in the fifth chapter, it starts like this. If I can get there. says in the first verse, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's what he offers. I stand here today not having to worry about what anybody here might think because it's not my job. 
I stand here knowing that my kids aren't going to have to worry about what I might feel someday because that's not their job. Depression won't pass from me to them. And I have passed from slavery to this depression, from feeling afraid of being cheated on for no good reason, from constantly being worried and wanting nothing to do with anybody, to freedom. And that's what Jesus offers. He's not offering, be good enough, and then I'll love you. He's offering, I made you. I made you good enough. Let's go get your freedom back. It's my story.